I'm Lou Manna, and I'm a food photographer, and I will give you some tips and tricks of the trade on light source. And welcome to episode 53 of LightSource, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockPhoto.com. Now on today's show, well, lick your lips and wet your appetite because we have with us Lou Manna. I just finished up speaking with him and he is a commercial food photographer. Among other things, but that's kind of like the specialty that he's known for. He's written a book called Digital Food Photography, available at Amazon. And he's going to talk with us about what he does with approaching food photography, how they do some of the tricks of the trade and some of the things that he looks for when he's uh, shooting images that deal with food. So uh, I'm hungry after listening to him speak. Yeah, I was going to say we have to make this intro brief because we just got off the phone with him and I'm really hungry for a burger. (laughs) I am too. It was... (laughs) Well, and uh, looking at his site, the chocolate-covered strawberries. Ah, mm. good times. And I really was liking the look of the cornflakes until I, I learned that it was a, a drop of Elmer's glue right. off <laughs> of the spoon. And then I was like, ugh. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's all about selling the cereal, not the milk. That's what he said. It, it is. A, what did, What was this, the quote that he said? Creating images that look good enough to eat. That's right. <laughs> but That's you a good really probably it. wouldn't want to eat some <laughs> from the way that he described it. Yeah, he did a really good job, though. I thought it was a lot of fun talking with him. We'll, we'll be getting to that interview very shortly. Um, but in the meantime, what's been going on in, in your world, Bill? Um, I've been processing images a lot, and I got a new monitor, uh-huh. and it, it's amazing the difference. Like, I was using some, at least in my homework area, I was using CRTs, and I got a really nice flat panel, and the difference in editing my photography is just unbelievable. I didn't realize how much I was in the dark, literally, with some of my images. So Yeah, not a problem. It's actually yeah. the same one that I use as well, and I'm I'm a big fan of the widescreen display. I really yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty of workspace, and it's a single monitor. I don't have dual beasts sitting around my desk, and just the brightness of the LCD monitors has really been helping me see the grain and the detail and things like that in different places of my images, so... That's what I've been up to. Just a lot of staring at my images. (laughs) Well, me too. I've been processing uh, some, still processing some of the wedding images that I had done and trying to get one other model shoot out the door, as well as all the other stuff that I have going on. But I've still been playing with the whole workflow idea and was reading an article about camerabits.com and with, uh, what is it, Photo Mechanic 4.5? Okay. Oh, I know. It was in the newest PDN, in the new PDN magazine, which is a really good one. You should go pick it up. It's the stock okay. photo issue. Oh, dude, I will. That sounds great. Yeah, there's some really good articles in there this month. They talk about like getting the most out of your budget that you have for a shoot and showing about how different photographers in the, the now days of slimmer margins, how they operate and, and actually produce more and get more money out of their time that they have. So there's lots of really good articles in it. So definitely that's a good one to pick up. But in there, they also had a review for Photo Mechanic. That's where I saw it. So I started playing with it and it might end up finding a place on my drive. Really? Yeah, it's a, it's a browser. It's kind of like Bridge. It doesn't do a whole lot like Lightroom or Aperture or even like Microsoft Expression Media. So it doesn't do what those programs do. It does almost only what Bridge does, but okay. it seems like it does it really, really well. 
So it's an image browser and kind of cataloging. Does it handle metadata and stuff like that too? It handles the metadata of the file. Now it doesn't do databasing. Okay. So keywording and all that. It does, it does. Well, you can keyword into the metadata, right? but it doesn't keyword everything into like a big searchable database. The purpose of the photo mechanic is getting things from your card to the cataloging process or to your client quicker. Okay. I think I've heard that talked about on some other podcasts. There's a lot of really good things that it does, like when you're doing your transfer, or they call it the ingestion process. When you're taking images from your card into your computer, that script allows you to put those in multiple locations and multiple drives. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, different ways that you can label things easier than what I've seen it done through Lightroom and, and some of the other applications that I've seen. Excellent. It's definitely targeted towards like sports photographers or sports journalists, people who are maybe there's a, it it could be like for events. Why I say the sports journalist is maybe there's like, they'll have like the magazine may have a person stationed at a big event and they have multiple photographers. Got it. And they want to take those images and kind of suck them in and put them in different locations and tag them based upon who the photographer is fairly quickly and easily. It sounds like it does that sort of task really well. And it, it's kind of like one of those applications It's kind of like on the cult fringe. So if anyone out there has any experience with it, positive, negative, I'd like to hear it because the program's kind of tempted me a little bit. That sounds really cool. Speaking of software and just thinking of trying things out, I was looking at something this week that I hadn't come across before, and it's by a company called LabPrints. Have you heard of them? Sounds familiar. I can't place anything that they've done, though. Well, it's an interesting piece of actually free software. Uh, They have a piece of software called LabPrints Digital Studio, and it's for the print process. So you've, you've taken all your images and you've done your selections and stuff like that and your processing. This piece of software lets you kind of organize them in albums and put them in sequences. And then they work with a number of national labs so that you can build the, an order for the lab automatically from, you know, what you've chosen. It's pretty interesting. That does sound pretty good. I think I have seen something similar to that that exports out of like capture one or something like that right i'm I'm sure there are other plugins and stuff but and of course they have add-ons for doing albums from the major album providers and all the page templates and stuff like that so what i really liked about it though when i was watching their demo videos is that i know for me when i'm doing all my crops and stuff in photoshop you're watching out to make sure that a five by seven and an eight by ten and all that are still going to all look good with the framing of the image and they have automated that part of it really well And even within the album page templates, the cropping is all done really clean while you're still looking at what the template's going to look like. You can bring the image up, adjust the crop size or the position of the crop in the image, and it'll show you what the album page is going to look like. And then it will generate the files that you need and the right sizes for your lab at the end of it all. It's pretty cool. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So I just thought that would be something worth mentioning if people are are dealing with making large print orders. Well, speaking of large print orders, you were asking me right before we did the intro, what I used for my lab. Now I do a lot of my own printing. I'm using Epson printers and I have the pigment ink printers. I have an old generation of them. Would love to update to the newer, I guess the K2 inks. I think there might even be something new that's even newer than that. But if anyone has any suggestions of what they use for your printing for your clients, now I'm not talking about like proofs or anything like that, but like the actual final prints, if you're a portrait photographer or if you do wedding albums, or things like that. I'd be curious to hear what everyone else says that they use for their printing methods. I'll tell you what, we'll start a little thread in the Flickr group separate from the show post 
that people can maybe comment on what they like to do for their lab. Cause I, I think there's a lot of great feedback in, in the Flickr group. It, you know, it would be really great if we could get some people on the audio line too. Oh yeah. Hey, nobody ever leaves us voicemail. It makes us sad. So, and how do they do that? Uh, we have a button on the webpage that pops up a little window and you dial the number and leave voicemail and then we'll check it out. If we got some of these as audio comments, we could intermix them in through the show and in the intro section here. That's right. If you want to be a superstar on the interweb, we can make it happen. Well, cool. Well, so we got some, uh, questions for the audience and now we're going to serve them the meals. What do you think? That sounds great. this edition of The Light Source, we have with us Lou Manna, an award-winning Olympus visionary photographer, specializes in food photography, also authored a book called Digital Food Photography. And you can check out that book website at digitalfoodphotos.com. And if you want to check out Lou's website while we're doing the interview, it is loumanna.com. It's L-O-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. And if you missed any of these links, you can get all of them at studiolighting.net. Lou, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, Ed. You have some amazing photography. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And as you know, photography is a, a skill of lighting. And I, uh, my approach is the simple and clean lighting approach, just one that helps uh, make the food or, or any object more dimensional and more approachable in, the, in a two-dimensional sphere uh, that photography is. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, this interview is going to be bad for me because I just got off the treadmill and I'm on the page right now that's full of like, strawberries <laughs> with chocolate. I know, I know. Most of the time, uh, I try and schedule my appointments before lunch or before dinner, and people really, really want me to shoot for them because they get very hungry looking at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> is that sort of like an occupational hazard that it tends to go right around the middle? <laughs> I, um, I have been uh, growing in girth. And uh, especially today, we were shooting hamburgers and French fries and and onion rings and things. And, and there's always something on the kitchen counter that's cooked that hasn't been glossed over that I can pick at. So it is an occupational hazard. But it's one of the beauties of the uh, of the field that I can literally eat my work. <laughs> that's Wonderful. a good way to put it. And and in fact, everything that you see that I photographed, I definitely tasted. Oh, outstanding. So there you have it. Outstanding. How many other people could give you a, a photographic uh, synopsis of, of their diet? It's been <laughs> tough. I have to exercise quite a bit, too. Lou, how long have you been working in this field? I've been working as a photographer for about 30 years, uh, 32 years, actually, since 1975. I started off working with the New York Times as a photographer right out of college. Always loved photography as a kid. In high school, was president of the photography club and yearbook photo editor, but went to college pursuing electrical engineering. As it turns out now in my career, it's proved quite uh, beneficial considering digital photography. So I have an aptitude and and an understanding for the electronics behind it. And I was one of the first digital photographers in the United States back uh, in 1995. Wow. I have been shooting digitally since. But in college, I started shooting for the school newspaper, started amassing a nice printed portfolio of, of pieces. And I recommend that to all my students as well to try and get published and try and get some printed work, which I then put together and saw the right photo editor at the right time as a senior in college at the New York Times and was able to start freelancing for them while I was going to college which then ended up being in a full-time position for them 
once I graduated. So it was a lucky break, but it was a lot of work and initiative on my part to pull it all together and a lot of networking and being in the right place at the right time. I was able to see him with a nice portfolio of printed pieces and some other uh, work as opposed to just landscapes or portraits or whatever. Right. And started working for the New York Times out in Long Island, at which point I never dreamt that I was going to be a food photographer when I grew up. I just knew I wanted to keep shooting because it was something that I loved and especially making money at it was the best part. Initially for the local newspapers, I was making $5 a picture and then uh, graduated working for the New York Times making more. But that whole experience uh, led me to work for them on Long Island, at which point they sent me out to the home of Fred Claiborne and Pierre Frenet, who were the food writers for the New York Times, who wrote both articles for the living section and for the magazine section, and they wrote cookbooks, and I started photographing food with them, just uh, out of luck, and enjoyed it tremendously, met all these chefs, I speak French, Italian, and a little bit of other languages, Spanish. And I got along well with all these people and enjoyed the, the lifestyle being of Italian descent myself, food being part of my blood. <laughs> right. It was just a perfect niche for me. Uh, ended up specializing in it since not too many people do. And, and it is something that I love to do. Well, you're very, very good at it. Thank you. We, of course, have a lot of questions. We've only had one other food photographer ever on our show. So last time the photographer we spoke to mainly used uh, natural light. Would you put yourself in that camp or you use a lot of artificial lighting as well? I use mostly strobe illumination. Okay. I find that that gives me the most control over my light source and I'm able to make the strobe appear like natural light. Whether I want it to look like sunlight, I use it as a bare bulb and I put some amber gels over it to warm it up a little bit and get that harsh shadow as the sunlight would, would give me or streaking light through a window by using different gobos. And for the most part, I like to shoot with a soft box as if it was a window light. So in a way, I am recreating natural light, but able to control it more so, so that I can shoot at night, day, on a cloudy day, on a sunny day, it doesn't matter, but still give the illusion of whatever uh, mood I want. I also find that with strobe illumination, I get better color out of my subject, out of the food, or out of any subject for that matter. It brings out uh, more vibrance and more color saturation than, than the human eye can see, obviously, because you're controlling um, a strobe that's as bright as the sun by diffusing it or channeling it through, through umbrellas or grid spots. Uh, in general, my basic lighting scheme is the softbox from the side so that I get some side lighting or a little bit from the back, and then an edge light with a grid spot from another side to give that edge light. And then I do use a lot of mirrors in my photography where I bounce oh. the light back into the subject to give what I call specular highlights into the pieces of fruit or food or meat or whatever it is. And that's my basic take on lighting. I do, if I need to, shoot with natural light. I use reflectors and discs and gold reflectors or silver reflectors or little mirrors. I have mirrors of all different shapes and sizes depending on the subject matter. Sometimes I use black card to put an edge to glass or china or silver so that it reflects into the subject. Keep in mind that everything is a mirror that you're photographing, no matter what it is. And that's one of the challenges in food photography. There's so many different elements in, uh, in a dish that are different shapes and that are shiny or matte or textured. And there's silverware and crystal and plates and the shape of the plate. 
and all of that varies in terms of reflections and and the way you light it. So it is a challenge. It's it's actually one of the more challenging fields to work in because in addition to that, obviously, if you wait too long, the food uh, dies. Right. <laughs> and especially photographing ice cream could be quite difficult right. if you end up taking your time and dilly-dallying with it. But, well, um, speaking of speed, how long do you think you would have with one plate after it's been stylized? In, in general, I realize like the different type of food is going to depend on how quickly it wilts. Yeah, it, it all depends on the on the food, on the subject matter. For example, the burgers we were shooting today uh, for Hess, for their fast food chain and their gas stations, we had on the set maybe about 10, 15 minutes, and uh, periodically the food stylist would just approach it with a light brush of oil just to keep it glistening and, mm. and fresh looking. But uh, in general, I try and either use a, a stand-in a burger initially to set my lighting, <laughs> A stunt burger. A stunt, a, burger. Stand in, a, a stunt burger, like a prop burger <laughs> okay. that, that doesn't look that good and isn't perfectly uh, grill marked and doesn't have everything going for it. And that allows me then to set up my mirror, my light, my backlight, my grid spot or whatever to, to give me those little highlights. And then once the star comes in, obviously I fine tune it because each star or each each burger or each, each piece of food is, is different in terms of its textures and shapes. So I just fine-tune it for that. Wow. Now, I have a question about the mirror placement. What is it that you're looking for on the subject when you decide where to place the mirror? You said specular highlights, but are you trying to highlight certain features? How do you make that positioning? I create little dots or little white highlights in the shiny part of the food or the shiny part of the elements so that it gives it a little bit of sparkle, like a jewel. Okay. As you know, like with diamonds or something, you, you try and add some of those those highlights so that the, it jumps off the page. Same thing I do with food, and that's why people come to me, because all of my food looks very sparkly and fresh and clean, and that's achieved by adding as much as five or six mirrors in different shapes uh, around the food, just highlighting different elements. It's hard to say exactly where to position them because it depends on the, on the food. Okay. But I contour the subject in order to help your eye travel in the frame and follow those little dots. Like uh, creating a constellation <laughs> of, <laughs> of stars in the food, depending on the reflective nature of the food. Now, on your blog, on digitalfoodphotos.com slash blog, there's a blog post about mirrors, and it shows a couple of the shots where you were, you know, actually have them set up reflecting off the different foods. Can you tell us what that little duct tape-looking brick is? That's an old battery, a 510-volt battery that I had that I just put duct tape over. It's just a heavy little block that I used to help me position the mirrors. And then I use fun tack or a putty to put on the base of the mirrors so that I can angle them. And then that little block just holds it from falling down or holds it at a, at a different angle. Okay. I, I see general, what you're saying. Yeah, in general, it's just a matter of, of angling the mirrors, too, because if they're angled closer to the subject, they'll be brighter. Angled back, they'll skim the subject. So a lot of times I'll try and skim it just to give it a little edge to the peas or something like that. Mm. I do try and uh, always work with this kind of backlight approach so that there's always a little edge to the subjects. Those blocks just help position the mirrors and hold them on the set. That's cool. Do you ever find that there are certain food subjects that you shouldn't highlight? You know, maybe on a plate of food, is there a particular type of food that doesn't really look good when it has the specular highlights? No, for the most part, I, I find that that's what 
really gives you the appetite appeal. That's cool. Is is getting the food to jump out of the plate. Uh, just back to the blocks, I do use magic arms and super clamps as well to hold mirrors sometimes up in the air or to hold a, a fork, you know, into a plate of pasta. Mm. I shoot a lot for barilla, and sometimes we do that. We have some pasta on the, on the edge of the fork, and that's held with a, a super clamp and magic arm. And I use water poles to help me, as well as assistance to, to hold mirrors sometimes, too. Great. Besides the blocks and the magic arms, they, they seem to do a good job. <laughs> sometimes I will forego the mirrors. If it is too shiny of an object, obviously, you know, if it's too metallic, uh, then I'll go with a tent. What I do a lot, too, is I use a piece of 4 by 8 plexiglass, and I'll curve it over the set and shoot light through it. Wow. So that obviously what the objects are seeing is, is this milky white surface that just is, is what the, the object shows when, when you look at it from the front. It's like being in a cloud and then maybe hit it with some backlight just to, just to highlight it a little bit from, from the edge of, past the edge of that plexiglass tent. Great. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I think it's great that you're doing this, by the way. I think it's very important for people to practice, obviously, photography. But to listen and see other techniques, because everybody brings some other way of lighting things, and lighting is, is the key to good photography, I think. I, I have to agree, and you've already given me a whole bunch of ideas. I want to run into my studio now and play with lights for the rest of the night, I think. <laughs> oh, good. But I, I usually do use a reflector board, or just white reflector board off to the side, just to fill in the shadow. And then another main technique that I use is feathering the light source, the main light source, whether it be a, a softbox or an umbrella. And that way I get a, a lower contrast range over the set. Okay. And that way the shadows aren't too deep because I like to, when I photograph, have detail in the shadows and in the highlights so that everything has some detail in it, some, some quality, as opposed to just being totally blown out. Although sometimes those little specular highlights are totally blown out right and the purpose to those is to attract your eye to the brightest areas so just for people who aren't as familiar with the light modifiers you're discussing when you say feathering you would be turning the softbox for example to a degree to where the light edge is hitting the subject instead of the direct light exactly instead of aiming the box uh, let's say the box is uh, at a 45 degree angle to the subject instead of tilting the front of the box so that it's parallel to the object, you know, straight down to it. I would tilt it up so that it's it's actually aiming over it. Okay. And so the true light that's lighting the set is the edge of that softbox, the, the light that comes from the edge of it. Any light source is a stop brighter in the middle than it is on the edges. So therefore, the stronger part of the light is traveling past the subject and bouncing into a reflector board and coming back. In general, my lighting ratio is basically two to one or three to one. Right. And I try and stay within that parameter in order to get detail in the shadow and the highlights. Yep. Whereas if you aim the softbox directly at the subject, you're, you're going to get a much brighter on one side than on the other side. Right. Uh, two stops, obviously. Just those simple techniques. Uh, I give workshops every two months here in my studio and I, I show people how to light. I actually do it interactively where I shoot it and then I project it on a 40-inch monitor and people can see the, the results right away and it's pretty obvious. That's great. I'm just curious of, about the size of the softbox, for example. If you had a standard plate of food, are we talking about a 30-inch larger? The, the one that I use is a medium softbox. It's about two feet by three feet. Okay. 
Uh, it's got a silver inside with a double diffuser. It's pretty standard, I'd say. Okay. But I think any light source, because I also teach that you could use just regular lights uh, and diffuse even uh, table lamps through wax paper. Okay. If need be, uh, just to, to do something at home, you can even take some light bulbs and, and shoot it through some wax paper just to soften the light and even use aluminum foil instead of mirrors to reflect some light back in or just white pieces of paper as reflectors. So you can make something out of household items as well. That's excellent. Now, along those lines, if somebody gets their meal out of the oven and it just looks delicious and they wanted to <laughs> photograph it, <laughs> for example, I like to bake pizza, so I have a couple pizza questions for you in a minute. But Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. You know, if you put it under on the table under regular kitchen lights or whatever, how do you teach your students to deal with white balance in those kind of conditions? Well, as an Olympus visionary photographer, too, one of the things I talk about is how Olympus has a cuisine mode in their, in nice. their cameras, believe it or not. I didn't know that. Yeah, it does. It's the only camera that has that, and it's a great feature because it automatically adjusts the white balance to slightly warmer setting huh. and filters the flash so that it's not as bright. So that's a, a quick fix just to shoot something, just stick it in cuisine mode. But to do it more professionally, sometimes I take a custom white balance or I'll use a white balance setting like a cloudy white balance setting so that it does warm the food up. On my blog, I have illustrations of all the different standard white balance settings and what the results are. And then I, I often try and explain to people to shut off the direct flash because that gives you harsh shadows and to try and use some bounce light, whether it's a bounce flash or light that's bouncing into a card off to the side and try to avoid direct light because that'll flatten the subject and won't give you any dimension. Excellent. I know that we want to encourage people to buy your book and, and get all the juicy tips. To Thanks. Yeah, there's, the a lot of, there's a lot <laughs> in there. Amazon.com is a good source for it. I, I've given a lot of tricks of the trade, which is what people love in food photography. Well, I wonder if you could share one or two of those with us tonight. Without Well, the, the whole thing of Elmer's glue being used as milk and cereal. Yeah. boxes. And so just go into your cupboard anywhere or into the store and look at any box of cereal. For the most part, they use Elmer's glue wow. because you're not selling the milk when it comes to cereal. You're selling the cereal. <laughs> and what Elmer's glue does is it gives you a nice white backdrop and allows you then to uh, place the flake with tweezers and stand them <laughs> up or angle them so that they're all positioned perfectly to the camera and they stay there for a while and they don't wilt. I have an illustration in my book of cereal uh, in milk after a minute and it's you don't want to eat it. You don't want to look at it. Right. You know, it's the glob of mush. So that's a very basic, uh, simple thing. And then uh, drips of milk are, are done the same way. We're getting coffee to look like it was freshly poured. We use just soap bubbles on the edge of the, of the coffee cup. Okay. Um, that you can just use, uh, you know, dish soap and just put it in a, a little a glass of water and just uh, create some of those bubbles and then scoop those bubbles up and put them into the coffee. They become the color of the coffee huh. uh, or wine, and they look like they were freshly poured. We do use fake ice cubes a lot of times in ads or, or any time we, uh, we have a cold drink in the shot, and there are pieces of plexiglass that have been hand-carved and polished. They're about $70 a piece. Wow. <laughs> but most of your liquor ads or soda ads or anything that you see that has ice in it, utilize those fake ice cubes because they look like jewels once again. They, they sparkle and they make the liquid look really beautiful. 
course, most of the ice cubes from your refrigerator are cloudy and don't have oh. much, uh, many facets to them, so they don't really uh, show up too well. That's great. Um, yeah, I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> yeah, you tried to photograph. Well, ice. I had this idea for a wild concept that I wanted to do. The theme of it was so cold that it burns, mm-hmm. and I wanted to have an, an ice cube, but actually have it on fire. And um, it's like next to impossible to light something that's a liquid by nature. <laughs> Right, right. Well, you can obviously do it double exposure type thing. Oh, no, I wanted to do it all in one shot. I I wanted to do it the hard way. I like that. I like being a purist uh, because in my my photography, for the most part, people always say, oh, you can fix it in Photoshop, but I'd rather um, place that detail in the digital sensor at the time of capture than trying to recreate it. I find that you get much, much better detail and color and quality, and that's what I think shows in my work as well. That's a good point. Well, my um, wife was supportive of the Photoshop idea because she didn't want me to burn the house down. Right. <laughs> well, for that one, I would have used Photoshop. <laughs> Go against Where are you grain. going with that lighter fluid? <laughs> <laughs> to create grill marks sometimes in food, we use electric charcoal starters. Oh, okay. And sear the steak with those rods of electric, you know, the electric grill starters so that they're really hot. And you sear the steak so that you get those grill marks. That's great. With chicken, we undercook it, obviously, and a lot of times brush it with the kitchen bouquet, which is a darker uh, colored liquid to, to sort of give it a glaze and pin pin the skin so that it pulls it taut. Huh. And uh, another trick, obviously, for photographing food is just undercooking everything because if you overcook it, the skin is going to get wrinkly and, uh, and prunish. Uh, so you want to undercook. A lot of times chefs might not make the best food stylist because they're cooking for taste. Right. Food stylists really cook for looks, and that's something to to keep in mind when you're photographing food. It doesn't have to be seasoned properly as long as it looks good enough to eat, which brings another thing with the Olympus camera, too. Uh, One of the things I tout about it is the dust reduction sensor that it has. I don't know if you know about that. They have an ultrasonic cleaning device that cleans the sensor. If you use another type of camera, a lot of times there's dust on your CCD. Right. And especially when you're photographing in white on white dishes and white plates, white backgrounds, uh, you might think that it's uh, it's some other spice or pepper or something on the dish. <laughs> so keeping that sensor clean all the time gives you uh, the purest image. When I photograph beer or, or other liquids, I use glycerin and water in a little spray mister, and I spray the side of the glass so that way it gives it that fresh, frosty Oh, okay. Uh, cold look, so it might actually be a warm liquid. I was curious about that one. But with the, the fake ice cubes and the glycerin, the little droplets on the side, you could swear it's cold. You That's know? amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then there's another thing called Aquagel that you can buy, which is a, a thicker droplet that you can apply just with a toothpick on the side of the glass <laughs> so that it, it's just it's a bigger gob of water. It's commercially sold. Amazing. Uh, so you can actually so the, place your own water droplets. Then. Yeah. If I'm not photographing ice cream as the main subject and it's just in the background, so I would never do this for an ad for haagen or Breyers or anybody, but if it was just a, a table setting and there was some ice cream in the background, I do give a recipe in my book for fake ice cream. Oh, cool. Which has vegetable shortening, uh, corn syrup, powdered sugar, and food coloring, depending on the color of the ice cream. Wow. And it really looks like the real thing. Uh, you <laughs> That's put it in amazing. art. And you form it and you scoop it out and it stays. I still have plenty of ice cream here in the studio that's been there for quite a while and it still looks good. <laughs> and, and a lot of times I'll use that as a stand-in, too, if I am to shoot real ice cream. 
So that way I have something with a similar texture and detail uh, to, to light. Um, wow. And you wanted to know about the cheese. The yeah, I was pizza. curious. So a lot of times, especially to get the cheese pulling in a slice of pizza, you have to pre-cut the pizza. This is how we do it. We pre-cut it before you even bake it or before you, you put the cheese on it. And then we add extra cheese along that slice where you're going to be pulling it. Okay. Uh, so that way, when you pull the slice up, you have extra cheese that will be showing, you know, you the pieces as you're pulling it up. Otherwise, right. it would pull it. Otherwise, it would pull it from the top of the pizza, and then that top slice would be off center. So you you basically layer the the edge of the slice where it's going to be picking up about four or five times more cheese. No kidding. So that way, you have more elasticity to pull it. Well, I'll I show, try that. I show that in my book. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously, you can use a, uh, a steamer to make the cheese even more pliable and heat it up as you're pulling it. And we'll also give you those little white drops on it so that it looks like it's fresh and hot. That's great. Yeah. Do you find any foods particularly challenging to photograph of all the stuff that you've done? Well, obviously, the ice creams and the delicacies are things that are fragile, like little herbs and floral things or something that really die or wilt very quickly. Mm. But uh, again, using something to stand in ahead of time, or once you finally get the shot, then you, the stylist uh, will create another one anyway, you know, Okay. to come into place. I'm leafing through the book to give you some more ideas. <laughs> dollops of Cool Whip, you can, you can get nice peaks and nice dollops, and sometimes then they'll flatten in time too. So it is, it is a time-sensitive field, and uh, having worked for the New York Times for so long too, I, I've do work fast. That's always helped me in this career as well. Absolutely. I do use prop stylists to get uh, the different dishes and the different silverware and backgrounds and the surfaces and the flowers or the glasses. People don't realize that there's so much involved. A lot of times on a food shoot, it's, it's sort of like a fashion shoot. There's the food stylist, there's an assistant food stylist, there's a prop stylist, there's an assistant prop stylist, there's three or four <laughs> uh, clients and art directors, I'll have an assistant or two. It becomes quite a production on a, on a big food shoot. Sounds like it. So generally, with all those people on the set, what is the main responsibility of the photographer? You don't really have to position the stuff as much as just your lighting equipment and your camera? I uh, I end up really being more of the director, though. and Okay. And and working with everybody, uh, I'll go over to the food stylist set uh, as she's preparing the food and say, wait a minute, remember I'm looking at it from this angle, let's move this element over here, or let's, let's get some contrast over there. I'll work with the prop stylist ahead of time to try and get some colored uh, items that will contrast well with the food and help create a, a, an ambiance or a feeling that we want to portray. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, and so I don't and then I'll create the lighting that gives it that mood that the client wants specifically for their needs, whether it's packaging where uh, you have to be concerned about being printing on plastic or on cardboard and shadow detail, or whether it's for editorial use where you can be a little freer with your lighting or commercial use. You have to be a little more careful. Now, with shooting food photography, do you find that there's any sort of a preference from either whether it's the editors or the clients that you're dealing with in terms of depth of field? Like, I'm looking at one of your shots right now that I believe it's raspberries mm -hmm. and it's extremely tasty. It's a very shallow depth of field, and I, right. I find it very captivating to look at. I like that 
look, and obviously that's more of the trend in food photography these days, where in the past everything was in focus and shot from overhead. Now the look is, is a softer, more casual feel. I find that it helps draw your eye uh, to the subject matter and give you more of a feeling, a softer, warm and fuzzy feeling in your gut. So I, I tend to try and do that. But for example, today with the hamburgers, we, we wanted them all in focus, you know, so I'll go with the with the smaller f-stop and more depth of field and brighter light source. So depending on what the client needs, we'll do it. If they want a mood shot, we'll go for that softer, longer lens, uh, more telephoto, less depth of field, wider f-stop look, which, which I seem to prefer, and a lower angle because that way it's different than what most people look at. Most people are looking down at their food when they sit at the, at the table or at a 45-degree angle, and I like to look at it more eye-level or, or a little bit higher uh, than eye-level, just as a different approach to it. And it gives it more depth, too, to the picture. Like that raspberry picture has more depth to it. Definitely. Um, obviously, you're probably going to be using mostly macro lenses. Yeah. I end up using, um, and Olympus has fabulous digital uh, lenses, which uh, which are pretty much edge-to-edge and sharp and, and give me the a great resolution. I shoot entirely with Olympus equipment. My whole book was shot with the Olympus uh, camera. I just like the way it looks, the CCD, the way it renders colors, and the macro lens that they have is a, basically a 100 macro f2. So the f2 gives you uh, the ability to really throw things out of focus, and the 100 uh, gives you a nice perspective, and I can really focus really close with that. I was written up in one of their uh, lens catalogs with talking about the 100 macro lens as well. It's kind of funny. It's like that lens is uh, starting to come up frequently on this show. Yeah, that's the same <laughs> I also not only shoot food photography because that's 50% of what I do is food. The other half is products and people and portraits and events. And I feel that just knowing how to light anything makes you a better photographer. And especially uh, in photographing food with all the textures, I think it is similar to photographing people wearing different objects or silverware, you know, wearing... Uh, earrings or glasses or having some different hats or, or shiny clothes. Everything is a mirror. That's <laughs> the way I look at it. I like that. Everything quote. reflects light. And the challenge that we as photographers have is to be able to uh, to make it look as good as we can. Well, I always hear Vincent Versace on, on shows talking and say that when he's shooting flowers, he shoots them as though he's shooting portraits of people. Mm-hmm. When you shoot portraits of people, do you treat them as though you're shooting food photography? <laughs> well, I treat them as a round object, depending on if their face is long or or round. I will move the light to, to try and show them in their best light and make them look slimmer or give them a little more drama, uh, give them a little bit of backlight or edge light um, or not, depending on the look. It's similar principles, it's similar techniques, and I guess in a way I do. Uh, for the most part, though, I don't really use mirrors on people unless uh, I want that real glamour look, and I'll, I'll use mirrors from the bottom and the top, or sometimes mirrors from the back to, to give the edge light. But with people, for the most part, I, I stick with lights, umbrellas, and, and reflectors, because the eyes obviously uh, are the mirrors that, that we have to be careful in we see the highlights in the eyes or in any reflective object that they might be wearing. So it's just another another still life, another object, another 
element to, to light. I did have one other question that's kind of a side question in a way, because as you were speaking about the different tricks for different types of food and that sort of thing, and you also mentioned that you do editorial work and advertising work. Is there any code of ethics, so to speak, for food photographers that, you know, when you're well, substitution? Yeah, so, as I did mention before, I would never use the fake ice cream if I was shooting right. an ad for real ice cream. Or if I was shooting uh, for milk, I would never use the Elmer's glue. I would use real milk. So whatever so, the product is that you're advertising, you you are being true to that item. Exactly. The, exactly. Okay. And, and a lot of times if I shoot for cookbooks, and I shoot for the Culinary Institute of America for their magazines. We shoot real food. We don't uh, doctor it up at all. Uh, it's it's the way it is. It's right out of the oven. Maybe it will be a little undercooked, or maybe we'll we'll just glaze a little bit of oil on it just to make it uh, sparkle a little more. But but for the most part, it's not. There's no fake elements uh, being used in any of that photography, in any of the editorial work, or in any of the advertising where whatever we're photographing is the subject and is the client. Okay. And I guess the post-processing would be in the same vein. Yeah. We try not to change the uh, the reality of it. In one of the questions that you, you emailed me, you asked me what my workflow was like. And as I indicated to you earlier, what I do is as I shoot, I tether my uh, Olympus camera to my, a 40-inch uh, high-def monitor that I have here in the, in the studio, Sony monitor, flat screen. And so as I shoot the picture, the client sees the photograph pop up on the screen immediately. And I'll, I always uh, shoot, and that's the advantage of using strobe illumination too, I shoot handheld so that I can mm. vary my angles. And a lot of people tell me that most photographers don't do that. Uh, they stay on a tripod, and I find that limiting. If the client, if it's a package shot where the the elements have to be in a certain place and uh, everything has to be tied down, yes, I'll use a tripod. But for, for example, like with these hamburgers today, I would shoot them straight on, and then I would give them what I call loose shots, which are angled and and a little more creative and a little closer. And I I vary from from a low camera angle to a high camera angle to side angle to to something that's slightly tilted. And those are the shots they end up with because those are more interesting and, and more different. So I go with my gut on what to, to show them. They see it right away on the TV. And then I, I put file numbers under the pictures. And we pick the, the file numbers that they like. I then transfer the compact flashcard into my computer, into a folder, and label it all originals, at which point then I'll have written down or I'll have an assistant write down the selections that we've made with the client immediately as I was shooting. Hmm. And those uh, couple of files are then put in a selections folder. And then the client can look at them on the computer and in Photoshop and compare them side by side and then make final selections. So it, it eases the process instead sure. of getting uh, 50 shots of the burger. <laughs> Uh, they'll have the 50 shots in an original folder and then they'll have maybe eight shots that they really liked. And then they'll look at those eight and they'll pick maybe two or three that they're going to go with, you know, your standard straight on shot and then a couple of blue shots. Sounds like a great way to handle it. That they like. Yeah. So it's it's a good editing process and it's, it's interactive. And I hear the client, uh, ooh and ah, as I'm (laughs) shooting and it feeds me, 
uh, no pun intended, uh, the direction <laughs> on which to follow that, that I see that they like. So it's, it's a good interactive way to shoot. And even when I shoot on location, I travel with a portable uh, flat screen monitor and I shoot in the same fashion. Hmm. And it, it seems to work very well because uh, I find a lot of photographers are proprietary on the images that they shoot and then they keep it secret. But I, I like to be open about everything and get the input from the clients since that's the one that's paying the bill. That sounds like a great approach. I assume since you're doing many of these shots in your studio that you have a pretty nice kitchen in your studio. <laughs> yep. I have a big uh, 25-foot kitchen, wow. center island, a couple of refrigerators and stoves and all sorts of um, equipment, Cuisinarts and microwaves and blenders and pots and pans. And, uh, I have a, a nice big top closet, top area with a lot of different types of plates and glassware, and silverware. And then I have a lot of different surfaces too. I, I rummage around uh, a lot of times and just pick up pieces of wood that I see on the street or something like that, uh, or different uh, backdrops and cloth and papers, textured papers or tiles. All of these things come in quite handy uh, for the food photographer. And then on those jobs where there is a, a budget, then the prop stylist will go out and get different items uh, for us to use. And as it turns out, a lot of times we still end up going through some of my items. Right. <laughs> you know. Ed, we'll have to put a kitchen in your studio. <laughs> there we go. So we can have access to that while we're shooting. Oh, I thought you meant so we could eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that does come in handy, too. I can't tell you how many times then uh, after the shoot, we'll just uh, cook up the rest of the, the you know, chicken or whatever and have it for uh, for dinner or whatever. Mm. So it Do comes in really handy. <laughs> sure. I know, too, that would be interested. I see that. Absolutely. I see that. I've, I've totally whet your appetite, I'm sure. Definitely. I'm I'm ready to go eat a burger right now. <laughs> Well, so. Before we go, we have had some photographers on before that talked about um, kind of giving listeners kind of a little bit of an assignment to do. One of the guys talked about uh, taking like an egg and coming up with like six different lighting shots on an egg. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you talk about in your workshops or anything like that that you give to, to people to say as you're getting started, here's something good to, to work with, work out and get as much as like a, it's kind of like a creative exercise. Well, what I do in the workshops is is a, a similar thing where I do lay out a lot of my surfaces and papers and glasses and, and plates, and uh, I end up making lunch for everybody. I, I make some <laughs> pasta and chicken, uh, being Italian once again. And then the morning is filled with, with uh, theory and, and lighting uh, and, and exposure and metering and stuff like that. And then the afternoon is filled with the actual practical shooting where I tell people to, to pick some stuff out of my uh, array and pull it together and, and bring it onto the set and compose it and place it and light it. So um, that's, that's the best way, and, and people love it because it really brings it full circle because then they, they're really under the gun to try and start to pre-visualize what the photograph will look like, which is, I think, an important factor in, in uh, any kind of photography. And my take on it is to just move the light source around, move the mirrors and see how they, they react and shoot the picture. So uh, by practicing and, and shooting and uh, getting to understand how, how light reacts with different subjects and, and shadow detail and 
feathering the light source and diffusing the light, one can really start to uh, to get a, a full grasp of what's going on. Yes, it is good to light, as you said, an egg maybe from different angles, just so you see how the shadow falls. But I like having some other elements in there too, because obviously the shadow will fall onto the other elements, and that's right. that's a real life uh, a real life you know setting. And uh, I'm often amazed at how out of uh, ten students, there's totally ten different types of photographs of uh, of plate of pasta and wow. chicken. You know. <laughs> Uh, totally different looking things from, from a rustic to an elegant to to something casual or something very colorful and, and artistic. So it, it's a good way to force people in, into acting and, and shooting. Nice. And if anyone's interested in checking out any of the workshops of Lou's, you can go to www.digitalfoodphotos.com and there is a workshops tab. Looks like there are two currently scheduled, Sunday, January 27th, 2008, and March 2nd, 2008. Looks like there's uh, all the purchase information is on the website. Yeah, I, I conduct those workshops through Adorama, the camera store. And then I do have private workshops as well for anybody that's interested. And the book is a great resource that everyone should have just as, as starters. For any kind of photography, I, I really bring you through digital photography and equipment and exposure and lighting, and then some of these tricks of the trade that we talked about. Very great. And we'll have links to the book on the show notes for this show and a bunch of other places. So thanks so much, Lou, for sharing some of those tips with us tonight. Appreciate the time that you spent with us. Thank you, Ed and Bill. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the field uh, that I love and I have a passion for. Well, that's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other Light Source episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the Light Source Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source you can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of and as always if you missed any of these links our quick outro here you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net till next time bye-bye Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com. We're going to serve them the meals. What do you think? That sounds great. Sounds delicious. <laughs> that was corny enough. <laughs> Corn. Corn. Oh. <laughs> Cheesy. Oh. Oops, there's another one. <laughs> oh, man. You're on a roll. Oh, it's great. Uh, piece of cake. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I need a drink. <laughs> There's a good outtake. That is. I'm going to have to play that. Yeah.